Hello, my name's Jim. For those of you who I don't know, um, I'm the other half of Team Senior Pastor, and today we are uh, continuing even our series in John's first letter, which Toby kicked off for us last week with a really helpful overview in 1 John. If you missed it, www.kingdomvineyard.com slash listen, or you can find the whole service on our YouTube channel. Hi, YouTube friends. And uh, if you have a Bible or Bible device with you right now, why don't you join me in 1 John, 1 John, right at the back. Get to Revelation and come back a couple of books and you'll find it. Toby introduced us to the book. I'll, I'll fill whilst you're finding it. Toby introduced us to the book with the first four verses. So we continue this afternoon with the first chunk of meat of the letter. Today I have three points for this talk, obviously. Those are sin, integrity, and restoration. There are two main points I want to focus on that jump out of the passage. Verses 5 to 7 are about integrity, and verses 8 to 10 I've titled Restoration. And then we finish our passage on a high point. We'll go over a little bit into chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, which centers all of today's conversation on to Jesus. But before we get to those two points, which are my second and third, I want to take a bit of time talking about the idea that looms large in today's talk, today's reading, which is sin. And so, whilst my friend Rebecca joins me to read the passage for us, sin, integrity, and restoration are the three points for today. Rebecca, come on up, and we'll even give you a microphone. One John chapter one, verse five to chapter two, verse two. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Thank you, friend. Tell you what, I'll, if you mind popping that just there, that'll do. Lovely, thank you. Great. Beautifully read. I like, when I'm, when I'm giving a talk, when I'm preaching, I like to have a handy summary, a short point where I can, like a simple memory aid. I need simple memory aids um, that tell us what the passage is about. And handily, the Apostle John has written one for us, which is ever so good of him. The first verse of chapter two, Samuel, I'm going to be testing you today, mate. Sorry, pal. <laughs> Chapter 2, verse 1, reads, 
My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Thank you, mate. So, let's talk about sin. Bolt the doors. I wonder why the idea of teaching on sin doesn't seem popular. Maybe it's because the idea of a sermon about sin conjures up pictures of a red-faced, bellowing preacher making the church squirm with guilt and guilt, even. <laughs> it's like a blanket of shame. <laughs> that was good, that. Look how fast he is. He's on form today. Thank you. Thank you. He's here all week. Try the not sin. This is not that sermon, nor actually do I think that that's God's heart. I mean, just look at how Jesus deals with people who come from sinful backgrounds, who carry sinful weight on their shoulders. Whenever you read the Gospels, Jesus' heart towards sin is obviously loving. So it is true that we need to know that this world isn't how it's meant to be, that we aren't how we're meant to be. And that we need God to meet us and reset us with a new life from him. But that truth is one that John gives us so lovingly and so reassuringly because Jesus has made it possible for us to be reconciled to God and restored. So no bellowing today. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I want to start with the basics. What is sin? I would offer to you, to sin, as a verb, is to do something wrong against God or against someone else. And without going into too much detail, if you were doing something wrong against someone who's made in God's image or a part of God's creation, well, that's doing wrong to God himself. If someone comes along and hurts your children or something you've worked hard on, that still hurts you, right? So to sin, to cut against God, to offend him, to upset him, to to treat without honor him, one of his people, someone made in his image, I mean, or um, something he's made. Okay, so sin as a noun then, a sin, sin stuff. That, I think, is the stuff that we carry around with us after having done these wrongs against God. Sin, in that sense, is the stain of our wrongdoing and the pain of our wrongdoing that breaks our relationship with God. If you are a word nerd like I am, the Hebrew and the Greek words that uh, in the Bible that we translate as sin, I mean, they, that's, it's a good translation. It's not like I'm about to tell you. It means something completely different. They also, as well as carrying that sense of offense and wrongdoing and, and breaking relationship with God, they carry a meaning of missing a mark, like an archer missing the target, and a sense of incompleteness, something that is not quite there a jug that's not quite full to where it should be. I like what those things tell us about the word that we use for wrongs against God. It's a sense of missing out on what's right and a sense of not quite being whole when we are sinning or carrying the weight of our sins. I, I think that catches something really important about what sin is. So I offer it. I thought it was helpful. A few theologians over the centuries, have also had a go at explaining what sin is. And one definition that I think is also really helpful is 
man turned in on himself, or if you prefer, humanity turned in on itself. But either way, instead of reaching out and connection, it's a curve back in. That way of looking at sin that involves a breaking of relationship and the putting of selfish desires in the place of God or in the place of another person, well, that makes sense to me. For a trivial example, if I promise to save Rachel the last piece of chocolate orange and then I eat it, I said trivial, actually, this is life or death in my house. <laughs> if I promise to, to save it and then I eat it, then instead of valuing and honoring my promise to Rachel and my relationship with her, I've chosen to focus on my wants. I've done something that's wrong, I've broken a promise, and I've damaged my relationship with her by instead of staying in connection, I've turned in on myself. I want that for me. And where chocolate orange is concerned, that is of great cost. That's right, we're, we're just about to look out on the front bench here. This is based on real life. I've come to confess my sins to you, friends. Taking that example, put it back to my relationship with God. If I think he wants me to do something and I decide to ignore it, to do something else, if I, instead of staying connected, turn in on myself and break that connection with him in that moment, break that relationship with him, then I think that's how sin works. It could be because I'm choosing to do what I think will feel nice in that moment. I'm going to go this way, actually. Or it could be that God's asking me to do something I don't like the cost of. Or it could be that I just don't trust that God will take care of me if I obey him. And I'm scared to say yes to him. Or honestly, it could just be that I'm lazy. Let me give you an unscripted real-life thing. As I was leaving this church about 5 o'clock last Sunday after having packed up, I walked past a taxi rank, and I just felt a little nudge, and I, it might have been God, saying, go knock on the window and talk to that first taxi driver. And I thought, it's probably not God. It's probably not God because, you know, I'm busy and Rachel's waiting. So I walked away and I ignored it. I don't think that my relationship with God was irreparably broken in that moment. But I had an opportunity to say yes and to strengthen my relationship. Who knows what might have happened? I might have been a fool. That would have been fine. Or I might, I might have seen him do something wonderful in someone's life and I might have seen him glorified. If I choose my feelings, uh, sorry, if any of those feelings that I have lead me to choose myself over God, to choose a no instead of a yes, to choose sin instead of relationship, well, I think that's choosing breaking, even sometimes when I'm not quite sure. Maybe I should have stopped and just said, hang on, let me check, Lord, is that you? A simple tip for you, friends, that will do wonders for your relationship with God. Saying yes to God is a virtuous circle. Every time you say yes, you have the opportunity for a better yes and a bigger yes in the small things as well as the big. And the same works in reverse. Every time we say no, we lose a little bit of ground. Maybe our hearing dulls just a little bit. Maybe we miss an opportunity until things get tough. When we preached about Genesis last year, Genesis chapter 3, back in September, Rachel said that a simple definition of sin is a failure to love God and a failure to love others, which is really smart, and she nicked it from the Bible Project, who actually have a great video about sin. If you Google the Bible Project sin, it'll come up as the top video, and honestly, it's great. It's five minutes of, of really clear Bible unpacking. So go and do that. 
a failure to love God and a failure to love others. That's a good definition. Whenever we are failing to love God or failing to love others, we are missing the mark. We are incomplete beings. We are turned in unto ourselves. This, I offer you, is what sin is. So, to ask what might seem an obvious question, why does this matter? Breaking our relationship with God matters because our relationship with God matters. Not only is God our creator's design best for us, but God who loves us more than anyone is the true love, the true sustainer of our lives, or at least he's designed us that way and he wants to be. Sin matters then because God is holy. He is right, and he is righteous. And when we are in our right minds, we don't want to offend or upset his good standards. And sin matters, not just because God is holy, but because God is lovely. Have you met him? Have you spent time in the presence of God recently? God offers us a holy rule over our lives that is worth submitting to. I promise you, friends, that's my experience. And God offers us love that we were made for that is worth giving everything for. So, sin, offense against God and separation from God's holiness and his love for us. It's a problem that needs to be sorted out. And when we're seeing things clearly, I think we do want to sort it out. And thankfully, as some of you might have heard, God didn't want to leave us stranded in our sin and had a plan to sort it out, but we'll come back to that in part three. For now, there you go. Was that too painful? That was the sin segment. We'll turn on to to part number two for this morning that I'm titling Integrity. And why don't we turn to our passage for today and pick it up. We're looking at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Maybe it was painful. (laughs) In verse 5, John tells us, This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. One of my favorite questions to ask a Christian who I'm getting to know is, What is Jesus like? How do you experience Jesus to be? Don't tell me what you've been taught. Don't tell me what you've sung. Don't tell me what you've read. How have you found Jesus to be yourself when you spent time with him? I love to hear people's real experiences of God's love in their lives. And John here gives us his answer to that question. In verses 1 to 4 that Toby talked about last week, we were told, he's just said, We're telling you about the God that we know. We've met this Jesus. This isn't empty philosophizing or theologizing. We're not speculating here. We know him. And what is the God who they know through Jesus like? He is light. There is no darkness at all in him. I think that's such a powerful image. A bright sunny day instead of a 
dark, cold night. Safety and joy and nice, friendly play park, not lurking hidden dangers and who knows what's over there in the trees. Life, not death. Seeing clearly, seeing fully, instead of confusion or fear or walking through darkness. Truth instead of lies. I mean, there's a reason that they set horror movies at night. Living in darkness is to be living on edge, never quite sure if you're safe, not able to feel peace or joy. And John says, this God who we've met is light. In him, there is not even a hint of darkness. This Jesus, who John met in the flesh, and we can still meet today, although slightly less tangibly, and I'm looking forward to that. This Jesus is truth. He is clarity. He is life and peace and joy. He is holiness. He is good. In the C.S. Lewis, Aslan, slightly scary sense of the word good. Good in a way that threatens. I'm, I, might not actually, I might need to sort myself out if I'm going to look him in the eye. He is good. There's no sense of God being a mixture. He's a bit good and a bit bad, you know. It's not that Jesus has good days and bad days. And it's not that God is sometimes good and sometimes mean. We don't need to fear that there is a mysterious shadow side to God. It's just not what he's like. And as Toby said last week, any teacher who was wandering around the early churches that John was in connection with and wrote this letter to, any teacher who was coming along claiming to have secret knowledge about God that was hidden from the rest of us, claiming that God was not as he seems, ah, if you knew the secrets, you'd know that God was actually a bit, nah, they've got it dead wrong. In God, there is no darkness. He is light. And what I love is that we can know this about Jesus. We can learn these truths. But much better than that, we can know Jesus personally and experience these things about him. That is, I think, pretty wonderful news. In fact, it's the good news. Great. Well, so, if God is this good, this lovely, and this light and we have started a new life with him, in relationship with him, then, in verse 6, thank you, mate. Oh, he's ahead of me, he's brilliant. Then in verse 6, messing around in the darkness is not for us any longer. As John puts it, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. We do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we'll have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. If we want to live in harmony with God, this Jesus who has introduced himself to us, then we need to make sure that we're walking in the light ourselves in response to him reaching out to us and offering this relationship, it's, yes, let me come and walk with you then. Saying, yes, Jesus, I want you to fill my life. I want to live with you. And then making, oh, sorry, if we say, yes, Jesus, I want, to fill, want you to fill my life, I want to live with you. And then we make decisions that he's told us not to. That's going to damage that relationship. Like, 
if I started secretly doing things that Rachel disapproved of, it would be a pretty bad sign for my marriage. If I had a bit of my life that was in darkness from Rachel, then actually not only would I have been treating her poorly, I'd have divided myself. I'd have compartmentalized myself into contradicting fragments, which is actually bad news for me even before I consider my relationship. That's why I call this point integrity. Being a person with integrity is to be someone who's integrated. Being one person, not divided with you know, light on the face but then a secret shadow side or a secret hidden fragment. Living holy with God, being holy with him and holy with him, if you like, not being half in and half out, where you sing love to God's face and then try and sneak sins behind his back as if you could. In the passage we're looking at, verses five to seven, I think having integrity is about living with God's light instead of dabbling with darkness. It's about relating to God truthfully with our whole selves. And as God is light, that's the direction our lives need to face as well. To paraphrase verse six, if we claim to be living in integrity with God, who is light, in unity with him, in relationship with him, but we're doing things that he calls darkness, then we're clearly living a contradiction, a double life, a life of lies. But if our decisions are in line with God's, the talk, the talk, the talk that we talk, the walk that we walk line up with God, and how he wants us to live our lives, then that relationship can continue to deepen and grow in honesty, in truth. He can reach into every part of our lives and bring his healing and his purifying, which will mean that if we're doing that and the people around us are doing that, then our relationships with each other can be based on that truth as well. Kind of like how I picture communion, where we all come to God and discover that we have brothers and sisters alongside us. Well, that also in truth, if I come to God in truth and discover that actually that's how the rest of us are relating as well, my friendship with these people is going to be beautiful. Which means, friends, my challenge this afternoon, or our challenge, is this. Are there areas of our lives that we need to bring into God's light? Are there things that we are doing in darkness, have been doing in darkness, that we need to bring to God and ask him to purify. It could be a TV show or a film we've been watching that we know is a bit more dark than it is light, and that needs to be switched off for the last time. Or maybe it's a habit that we need to bring to God and ask him to burn it up in his light. Maybe it's a relationship or a flirting that needs to be brought before God and said, I'm sorry, that was wrong, and stopped. Or it might be a friendship where the influence flows towards the dark, not towards the light that needs to be brought before God and ask, Lord, do I either need to change how I spend time with this person or do I need to stop spending time with them? It might even be a hope, a plan, or a dream that we hold that we think might not be God's plan for us that we need to be, bring back to him and say, Lord, would you shine your light on it and see if it reflect his beauty or if it catches fire. There's a lot in there and I'm not pointing the finger at anyone. In fact, 
I think there's a challenge in this passage for each of us, just between ourselves and God. If there's something in our lives that draws our attention away from God's light and toward the darkness of this world and the enemy who's influencing it, then for the sake of our integrity with God, the harmony of our relationship with him, friends, it's time to bring it to God and ask him to get rid of the darkness in our lives by shining his light into that space instead. Sin, integrity. Part three, restoration. Turn with me to verse eight. Thanks, Samuel. Verse eight, that would be lovely. Chapter one, verse eight. That would be lovely. And if you've got your Bible in front of you, well done. Verses 8 to 10 say this. Thank you. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. John's being a bit clever there. Word is a pun. It's like his truth isn't in us, his message, but the Greek word logos is the same one that John uses at the very beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the word, and he's talking about Jesus. So John's kind of punning there. God's truth wouldn't be with us if we were doing that, and God's son, his presence wouldn't be with us. That wasn't in the script. I just like Greek puns. If we want the wholeness, the integrity of our beings that God designed us to have and wants to restore in us, and to be free of the sin that turns us in on ourselves, then we need help. We have to want it. We can't get there on our own. And the first step I offer you is that we need to be honest with God and honest with ourselves about where we fail to love him and love others. If we try and convince ourselves that we've got it sorted or that we are complete and hitting the mark without God in charge of our lives, we're living under a dangerous lie. And it's dangerous because that delusion separates us from God. And if we think of ourselves as in good standing with God through any means other than his honesty, in fact, his forgiveness of our sins, then we're directly challenging God's declaration of what is right and wrong. And our relationship with him is an illusion. And it's just a heartbreaking reality of this world that our pasts and many of our desires and our hopes are corrupted by the darkness that we live amongst. Trying to build a relationship with God without addressing that is building a relationship on a lie. But when we recognize that God's right and wrong is right, that we've wronged him and need him, that opens the way for us to meet him really, not an illusion of a relationship where we've got one foot out the door just in case he tattles me to give up something I really want. That place of real meeting with him allows him, as verse 9 says, to forgive us our sins to purify us from all unrighteousness. And good news, he is faithful and just and wants to do just that. 
To paraphrase an image that one commentary on this passage offered, we should not try and plead innocent before God. We cannot. It will not wash. But our legal representative, that is Jesus, God the Son, advises us to face God fully and then plead the truthful guilty to our sins against God and against each other. And then, chapter 2, verse 2, God arranges to deal with our sin by Jesus offering himself as a sacrifice on our behalf, dealing with the wrongs we've done, making an offering that fixes our broken relationship with God. That brings us a wholeness and a holiness that we don't deserve, and it uncurls us from ourselves and the protective, selfish ball that we can so easily get ourselves into and allows us to stand tall and look God in the face once again. Once more, we can stand the light so that our new life with him has a clean sheet. Or, as chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 put it, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Which means when we come to God honestly, recognizing that we're coming to him from a place of sin, and all of us are, then he lovingly, generously restores us. Restores our relationships with him, restores our being into wholeness, restores our integrity, even restores us to each other. And as John finishes by assuring us, nobody is outside this offer. This is for the whole world, anyone who will take up God's offer. Let's stop there. To recap, we may be weighed down by sin, but God wants us to live with him in integrity. And in order for us to do so, he brings us restoration. In our passage today, John is adamant that we know that God is light. There is no compromise with the things of darkness within God. And there cannot be any compromise of darkness in our relationship with God and our relating to each other in true harmony as God's family. Any claim that we have it together, that we don't need him, that we're already sorted and don't need God to sort out our sin, comes from a fundamentally mistaken place. We need to be honest with ourselves and honest with God about where we're coming from, that we have missed the mark of loving God and loving others as he made us to. We're incomplete beings who are turned in on ourselves. Once, that might not even have been our fault, but we've certainly joined in. And without his drastic intervention to give us new lives under his management, we'd be scuppered. But if we are honest with ourselves and honest with God about that, then that honesty is a starting place that he can meet us at. And when he does meet us there, he deals with that sin so lovingly, so wonderfully generously, so keen to restore us to pure relationship with him, so keen to restore us to wholeness and light within ourselves. Bit awkward to talk about sin. But if you've got a relationship that there's this unspoken problem in, 
and you don't call it out, that's a bigger problem. And God is not wanting to wag the finger to point at anyone and not make anyone feel small. That's just never his heart. But he does love to build relationships based on honesty and truth. Why don't you stand? I'll pray to finish. Lord, we get uncomfortable when we realize that we've got much to be shameful about. But actually, would you meet us in love? Would you meet us in grace? Would you meet us in truth, though, most of all? And for those of us who have said that yes to you and started that relationship with you, Lord, Come and fill our hearts with your presence and show us how that clean slate, that new start, has changed our life. For anyone who hasn't, would you be knocking on the door of that heart and saying, hey, this is, this is me. I made you. I love you. I want to start that relationship. And would you give us the strength to say yes to you? Lord Jesus, would you shine light into each of our lives. Would you lovingly show us where there's darkness that we need to bring to you and get sorted out? Would you lovingly show us just how much you want us to thrive, to flourish, to be filled with your light and your life? And ask, would you bless us, Lord Jesus? Would you bless us with your presence, bless us with your love and your peace and your joy. I'm going to leave just um, a few seconds of, of quiet before moving on. Um, and uh, this is just an opportunity. If you want to do any business with God exactly where you are, then go for it. My heart in bringing this message is not to make anyone feel small or condemned. John's heart in writing this passage, I'm sure, was not the same. And God's heart for each of us is not to feel squashed, condemned, or on the spot, but to make sure that we're building on a good, clean, true foundation.